All right. Good morning, family. It is great to be together again this morning. Thank you for prioritizing the gathering together of the saints and uh, coming together to praise God and to celebrate His goodness. We are so grateful for what God is doing. So once a quarter, we take time to uh, give a praise report of what God is doing. We don't go into too much detail, but I want to give some emphasis of some of the things that uh, God is calling us to do in the city. Um, this coming Saturday, we have our Biz Plenary. It was announced, but I want you to know what we will be doing at the Biz Plenary. In celebration of International Women's Day, we have women experts in this church. Some of them are sitting here this morning. I was looking at some of their bios, and I thought, my goodness, I need to go back to school, you know. Some Harvard degrees there, you know, some PhDs. Some of the ladies here, they've even been at TEDx speaking there, and they, we get them for free, praise the Lord. We will be sharing wisdom to create jobs uh, in whatever spheres of influence where you are. So don't miss this. Just for clarity, it's not just for ladies, guys. All of us who work, who are in the marketplace, this is for us. So come and be with us. Uh, Swazi will also be sharing a little bit about her business and how God has used the business from where it was to where it is today. So join us for that. Uh, something that we want to be part of and we are part of is uh, with the cyclone die that took place in Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi. We're trying to be part of the solution. So we're encouraging you in whatever way you can be able to uh, support and help those who've been displaced. We don't always give towards these causes, but because of the severity of this particular uh, incident, we want to be able to help our family and people that we know that side. We have an Every Nation Church in Maputo, and together with them, we will be sending uh, these funds and uh, helping uh, with the NGOs that are there to help those who have been displaced. So, can I hear an amen? amen? Good. All this information is also on the website. If you're not able to get it now, you can get it on our website. Another exciting thing that took place this last week, we had our Love Has Legs. So Love Has Legs is a time where we go around the city and we become a blessing to the city. So on uh, Wednesday, we were out at Springs and we had uh, our kids ministry together with the kids workers out there being a blessing to the people of the city of Springs. And then on Thursday, we were here in Rosebank uh, gathering litter, cleaning up the area around Rosebank. And we've been building a relationship with the uh, Parkview Police Station and they wanted to partner with us with Love His Legs, and they showed up. They came on Thursday, and they showed up on time. It means God is doing something in our city. Amen. And over the last four days, uh, over 40 people gave their lives to the Lord, and two of them were police officers. We thank God for that. We praise God for that. Amen. As I have said before, we're going to transform the city one police station at a time. One police station at a time. So we continue to build a relationship with them, and uh, we've also invited them to come to church. Uh, on um, Friday, the guys were in Hillbro, reaching out to the guys in Hillbro, and then yesterday they were in Zanspreek, being a blessing there. May I also mention that we have a crisis response team that helps, whether it's members of our congregations that have a crisis, or when there's a crisis like the xenophobia crisis in our city, we are part of uh, blessing our city. Amen. Today, we start a brand new journey. Uh, we call it Let There Be Light. 
responding to life's tough questions. And I know that there are times where we have these questions and we ask ourselves, what does God say about this? So our journey today, we're going to start with a question of who is God? Next week, we're going to be looking at why suffering? And the week after, we're going to look at the question of evil. Why evil on planet Earth in our universe? And we're also going to look at why did Jesus die? That will be on Good Friday. And on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to speak about why does resurrection matter? Why does resurrection matter? And we have a guest speaker who's a good friend of ours, uh, Pastor Franz Olifir, coming all the way from Every Nation London, who'll be bringing the word with us that Sunday. So you don't want to miss that. Be there. Today, as we talk about who is God, let me ask you a question. If someone was to ask you who is God, how would you respond to that question? If someone was to ask you who is God, have you experienced this God? Do you know this God? How would you answer the question? I would say that the best way to answer that question will come out of your proximity to God. You will be able to answer that question based on how close you are to God. I'll give you an example. You know, if you were to ask me if I know my wife, Lindy, who is Lindy, I will ask you, how much time do you have? Do you have the whole day? I mean, I've known Lindy for almost 30 years. You know, she was in the first service earlier. She was thinking, can you explain that? We've only been married 18 years of those 30 years. We didn't get married when we were 15. But I've known her for that long. I've known her from when we were still at high school. And if you were to ask me who is Lindy, because of close proximity, I can tell you who Lindy is. I can tell you who Lindy is because of the constant pursuit that is in our relationship from the time I met her and I noticed her at this Youth for Christ conference. You can imagine 500 kids in the room and I noticed this woman. It says something about her. I, I've been pursuing her from our courtship relationship. I'm still pursuing her and she's pursuing me. And that speaks about close proximity. Proximity brings clarity. The closer you are to a person, the closer you get to know them and understand them. So if I were to ask you who's God, you'll be able to answer that question on the basis of your closeness to God. So let me start by giving you the story. A little girl was drawing a picture. Her teacher comes to her and asks, what are you drawing? She says, I'm drawing God. The teacher says, but nobody knows what God looks like. The girl said, they will when I'm done. <laughs> I like the audacity, eh? They will when I'm done. So that's my faith today. When I'm done preaching, I hope you know who God is. Apostle Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he draws a picture of God. He gives us his picture of who God is, and that's the scripture we'll be reading today. If you open, turn with me to your Bibles in Acts chapter 17. We read about how Paul explained to the people in Athens, in Greece, who God is. While you're opening there, let me give you a backdrop of the scripture. So you read in Acts 16 that Apostle Paul was preaching in Thessalonica, and they kicked him out of there. And then he moved to Berea, 
And they also kicked him out of there, and he went to Athens. And while he was in Athens, as he arrived there, we read in verse 16 of this chapter that Apostle Paul was highly distressed. He was provoked by the objects of worship that they had. In Greece, Athens, they had all these idols that they worshipped. And they also had this Greek temple, the Pantheon, that was magnificent in its architectural design. Now, you must understand when Paul arrives at this city and seeing all this, there was an altar there with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, the Greeks were people who had been searching for knowledge and truth, but they, they did not understand who this God is. We start reading from uh, verse 22 when Paul was now invited to the council of Areopagus, which was a council that was in charge of religious morality and civil rights. Sounds like the CRL Commission in South Africa. CRL Commission, Cultural, Religious, and Linguistic Rights Commission in South Africa. So he's been invited to come and give a talk there because he'd been speaking already about this unknown God, and they invite him to come and talk about this unknown God. So verse 22, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling, that they should seek him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Friends, when I look at this portion of scripture, I realize that Paul had an opportunity to explain to these people who God is. Do you know the reason why God is constantly pursuing us? It is because he's wanting to be known. He wants to be known. As I've already said in verse 16, Paul is waiting in Athens and provoked within by how these people were worshiping idols. And he brings their attention to this altar called the unknown God. Let me give you a bit of history here. Something very interesting happens when you look at how the Bible was written. You find that the Bible was written during the time of the Roman Empire, you find that uh, the Bible was written to the Hebrews. It was also written uh, to the Greeks. Now, you understand that the Hebrews were people of the light. They were always and constantly pursuing the light. They wanted to know the truth. 
And then you find the Romans who were people of glory. They were after glory. The Caesars, the glory of the Caesars, the Roman Empire. And you also look at the architectural magnificence of Rome. That is why they say all roads lead to Rome. They were about glory. And you come to the Greeks, uh, the Greeks who, they were people of knowledge. In fact, some people, they say uh, the term university came out of the Greeks who were so much after, uni- uh, after knowledge. They're saying unity in diversity. We want to know more. But Paul arrives to, at the scene and he says, you people of knowledge and wisdom, you want to know more, but you don't know this God. Let me just uh, provoke you for a little bit. Isn't it interesting that we will take time to study things, but we will not take time to study who God is? When you get a new phone or a new computer or a new gadget, don't you take time to read about what it's all about? Well, I'm talking about people who normally read the manual. We know that some people, you know, like you just open the box and you figure it out. And only when you get stuck, you know, like after, you know, the gadget now is, there's air coming out, smoke is coming out. That's when you go to the, that's when you go to the, to the manual. We, we, we take time to study things. We take time to Google stuff. But we don't take time to study who God is. Paul is saying to these guys that you are after knowledge, but you would not take time to study God. You just decided, we'll say, to the unknown God. This phrase challenges me so much to the unknown God, agnostos theos, that which you worship as something unknown, I proclaim to you today. That which you worship as something that is far from you because you don't have close proximity, I proclaim to you. Firstly, God wants to be known as our creator. God, our creator. That's what I want to put to you this morning. When you read verse 24 to verse 26, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it, He is our creator. Being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men. You must understand when Paul was addressing them, there were these temples that he would point to. He does not live in temples made by men. No, he's served by human hands. He was simply saying, guys, I am not after church buildings. The church is us, the people. God is after the hearts. He's not after our sacrifices like the sacrifices that the Athenians would bring to these temples. As though he needed anything. Since he himself gives all mankind life, breath, and everything. He's God, the provider. Amen. He has made from one man every nation. He has made from one man every nation. Therefore, this rules out racism. There is no race that is above the other race. We are all made from one man, and that man is Adam. And when we are born again, we are born again in the one man that is Jesus Christ. There is no race that is above another race. From one man, he made every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods, times for you to live and die, and the boundaries of their dwelling. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's our creator. So let me take time to try and explain why we say God is our creator. You know, um, 
now go going into this area where scientists have tried uh, to prove that creation came out of an explosion, which they call the Big Bang. But when you ask them, where did the explosion come from? There's no answer. You just go and Google, there's some awesome YouTube clips where they ask, whether it's atheists or agnostics, and ask them, okay, if you say the world just, boom, happened, where did the boom come from? We get stuck. So there is a, the evidence of design that I want to put before you, that God is the designer, that the world didn't just happen. If the world just happened with a big bang, why would, this is a good analogy, if I said to you, the sun is over here, the earth is over here, this little remote here, do you know that the distance between earth and sun is 150 million kilometers? Don't you think there's a little bit of precision there? If we, Earth, a small planet, were too close to the sun, we will burn to death. Basically, we will become bright flakes. If we were too far from the sun, what would happen to us? We'll freeze to death. And you think the Big Bang just decided, well, we'll put the sun here. We'll put the earth here. Nice distance. Explain that to me. And you think about the moon. The moon, it's, it's the, just the right size and the right distance from the earth. And the gravitational pull of the moon creates this ocean tides to help the water not to stagnate. And also scripture says that God has created the boundaries so that the water does not spill over to the continents. A big bang, just decided. We'll have um, the moon. And you go to Genesis chapter 1, 16. It says, God who made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. The greater light the sun to govern the day and the lesser light the moon to govern the night. He also made the stars. Let me give you another example. The human brain. The brain functions differently than other organ, organs. There is an intelligence to it, the ability to reason, to produce feeling, to dream, to plan, to take action, to relate to other people. There is an intelligent design to the brain that evolutionists cannot explain. Let's look at the evidence of cosmology. If something exists, Something costed to exist. If something exists, something costed to exist. Basically, nothing exists from nothing. I exist because I came from my parents, I hope. <laughs> well, I believe them. And I look like my dad. But this uh, enormous explosion of energy cannot explain cosmology. So, you ask the question, so where did God come from? And I give you Psalm 90, verse 2. Long before you gave birth to the earth, and before the mountains were born, you have been from everlasting to everlasting. The one and only true God. 
long before he gave birth to the earth, he had been from everlasting to everlasting, meaning God is from infinity to infinity. So God existed in himself before existence began. I know the English doesn't work well, but yes, he existed in himself before existence existed. That's the God that we serve, the one true God. He wants to be known as the creator. God is constantly pursuing us because he wants to be known as our creator. Let me show you how God is constantly pursuing us. A few years ago, there was a lady who um, showed up at our church. Uh, my wife and I were still in the evening service at the time. And uh, Lindy was uh, welcoming people at the door. And uh, Lindy noticed that she was new. And Lindy started having a conversation with her. And Lindy found out that uh, she's actually an atheist. And then we discover, okay, how she came to church. She says, you know what? I had been feeling this hole in my life. And I thought, I need to check this God out. I googled and I found your church. And that's how she came to church. That very same Sunday, Lindy brought her to sit right in the front. And atheist sitting in the front row. That's how God pursues us. The following week, she comes back again. She's sitting in the front row. And Greg is preaching. She gets an encounter with God. She responds to the altar call and she got saved. And she gave her life to Christ. Just to show that God is constantly pursuing us, she came from the Czech Republic. Her life was so radically changed. She moved back home, and she became part of a church plant. We have a church there that we're working with because of this woman who had an encounter with Jesus. God is constantly pursuing us. He wants to be known. Second thing I want to talk about is God wants to be known as our hope. Verse 27 of Acts that we just read, God did all these things so that we should seek Him and perhaps feel our way towards Him and find Him. Yet He's actually not far from each one of us. So He did all these things, all this creation, so that we will seek Him. God did all these things so that we will go after Him, groping around in the dark, knowing how to find God, though He's not far from us. So why is God wanting to be found? It's because he's our hope. He wants us to live with hope. You know, psychologists write, men can live for about 40 days without food, about three days without water, eight minutes without air, but you cannot live for one second without hope. One second. So you ask yourself, what happens if you lose hope? People generally get into this dark night of the soul. This dark hole, it's called depression, whatever it may be, because you've lost hope. And I'm here to say to you that it is in those moments that you need to press into God. Listen to David when he found himself in the dark night of the soul. He would speak to his soul and encourage himself to the Lord. When we lose hope and our soul is drifting, we should speak like David and say, My soul, why are you so downcast in me? Yet I will praise the Lord my God. In Psalm 116, verse 7, David says, he's reprimanding his soul. Return, O my soul, to your rest, because your rest is found in God. For the Lord, your God, has dealt bountifully with you. So whenever we lose hope, it's that moment when we don't engage with God, we go into this dark night of the soul. 
Let me give you a case study of uh, the state of our world today. Some of you would know a musician called Avicii. I wouldn't have known him except for my kids telling me. He committed suicide. He took his life sometime last year. This is a person who was worth 85 million U.S. dollars. It doesn't the Bible say, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? His family wrote, his real name was Tim Berkling, just explaining the cause of his death. The 20-year-old DJ took his own life by cutting himself with a broken bottle of wine. In a statement released by the family, they say, Our beloved Tim was a seeker, a fragile artist, soul-searching for answers to existential questions. He really struggled with thoughts about meaning, life, happiness. He could not go any longer. He got into that place of the dark night of the soul. He wanted to find peace. And I'm here to say, there is no peace without the Prince of Peace. There are different philosophical beliefs of people trying to find God or ignore God. You know, like you have deism, people believing in God, but they don't believe as God the creator. You don't have people who believe in theism. They believe in God, but they don't believe in God as the sustainer of life. There's pantheism where people are saying, well, the universe is God itself. You have the agnostics who are indifferent. We don't care. And you have the atheists who say, there is no God. And Apostle Paul was addressing these people. Verse 27, he says, God is actually not far from each one of us. Finding him is finding hope. Listen to the Psalm, uh, Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God's providence leads people to seeking him. That is why I want to read for you a letter from a former atheist. Listen to this letter carefully. I, I'm just amazed by the choice of words here. This is a person who was an atheist, and he's saying, hope is found in God. I was an atheist at one time, and like many atheists, the issue of people believing in God bothered me greatly. What is it about atheists that we would spend so much time, attention, and energy refuting something that we don't believe even exists? Don't you think that's a good question? What causes us to do that? When I was an atheist, I attributed my intentions as caring for those poor delusional people, that's us, to help them realize their hope was completely ill-founded. To be honest, I had another motive. As I challenged those who believed in God, I was deeply curious to see if they could convince me otherwise. Part of my quest was to become free from the question of God. If I could conclusively prove Believers that they were wrong, then the issue is off the table. I would go free and live my life as I please. Question of morality. I didn't realize that the reason the topic of God weighed so heavily on my mind was because God was pressing the issue. I have come to find out that God wants to be known. He created us with this intention that we would know him. He has surrounded us with evidence of himself, and he keeps the question 
of his existence squarely before our eyes. It was as if I couldn't escape thinking about the possibility of God. In fact, the day I chose to acknowledge God's existence, my prayer began with this. Okay, you win, God. It might be the underlying reason atheists are bothered by people believing in God because God is actively pursuing them. How is that? How is that? How is that? God is constantly pursuing us because he wants us to know him as our hope. The third reason is God wants us to be known as our father. God, our father. We read in the same Acts chapter 17, verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In him we live and move and have our being. So friends, God wants us to live in him. He wants us to move in him. It is at that point that we move out of proximity with God, out of a relationship with God, we lose our being. We lose our essence of existence. We lose our identity. But when we are found in God, we know who we are. And I want to come back to this point of identity, but let me just uh, show you how big this God is. Other attributes of God. He's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere, constantly pursuing us. We pursue him because he first pursued us. God is love. God is holy. God is merciful. God is just. And again, God is actually supposed to be God is eternal. So friends, let me say one thing to you. In one sermon, you cannot unpack who God is. Those attributes of God, each one will take the whole day. In fact, they say the first Britannica encyclopedia, when it was released, they had over 500 pages trying to explain God. It was the biggest of all the volumes that was there. The God who made the heavens and earth, he says, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. I want us to visit a bit of history in closing. When you have an encounter with God the Father, he gives you your true identity. He gives you your true identity. I always struggle with this concept that you know, fathers give identity to their children. I thought, what a big responsibility as a natural father having to, to, to give my kids names and these names that speaks about who they are for the rest of their lives. But there's a significance to that because when you encounter God, the maker of heaven and earth, and he gives you your true identity, you live with that revelation for the rest of your life. Who God is will determine your true identity. Who God is to you, your encounter with this God will determine your true identity. Let's look at uh, Abraham and Sarah when they were 
in this situation where circumstances were telling them they cannot have children. And God shows up and they have an encounter with God. And God says, you will be called mother and father of many nations. They had a choice to be defined by the circumstances or to be defined by God. You look at Jacob who was running away from his brother. Sibling issues that you and I don't have. Running away from his brother. He gets an encounter with the Lord. And God says from today, while he was wrestling with an angel, you will be called Israel. You will no longer be called Jacob. And when he encountered God, he had his true identity. You look at Saul who used to persecute the church. And when he had an encounter with God, the Lord changed his name from Saul to Paul and said, he will be my instrument to go preach the gospel to the Romans, to the Greeks, and to the Jews. I like the story of the Israelites. If you ask the Israelites while they were still in Egypt who is God, they would have defined God based on their circumstances. If you ask the Israelites post-Egypt who is God, they shows up and they say, you know what? The God who took us from Egypt to our promised land. He's the God who parted the Red Sea for us. They would say, the God who provided water and manna in the desert, that's the God we worship. They would say to you, the God who led us with a pillar of fire by day and cloud by night. That's the God we serve. So, I'm submitting to you, do not let circumstances define who God is, and define who you are. Let God define you. Let us stand to pray. As we close, I really want to pray for people who feel like you're far from God. This whole aspect of close proximity to God, you feel like, man, I hear you talking about God, but this encounter that you speak about, I have not had that encounter. And I pray for you this morning. And also speak to Christians, and uh, maybe you already have had this encounter with God. And there are times you say, I cannot see God. I cannot touch God. Let me tell you a story of a young man who was playing with his kite and his kite went into the clouds and he could not see the kite anymore. And while he could not see the kite, the people were saying, why are you looking up? And the boy would say, I've got my kite up there. And they would say, no, no, we don't see a kite. There's no kite. This boy say, I may not see my kite, but I can feel my kite. There are times when we may not see God, but we can feel him. And I want us to pray that we will have that experiential knowledge of God, where we can feel God even through challenging circumstances. Even when things are tough, I may not see him, but I know he's there. He is with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Father, I pray for us this morning. May we not let circumstances define who you are and who we are. May we not let our identity come from the things that we face, but may our identity come from who you are, Lord God the God who created the heaven and earth, the God who's our hope, the God our Father. Thank you for this time together, Lord, that we can study and know who you are. 
the one true God. The one true God. In this time of prayer, while our heads are bowed, I want to just ask those who are feeling far from God and you've never had this encounter with God, we want to give you an opportunity to make right with God, to come closer, to close proximity with God. If you are here, just raise your hand wherever you are so we can pray with you. If you feel like you're far from God, you haven't had this encounter with the one true God, we want to pray with you this morning. Just raise your hand wherever you are so we can pray with you. Thank you, my sister. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? There's a reason you are here today. And God is calling you. The Father is calling you. Thank you, my brother. Anyone else? Anyone else? You are here for a reason. Today, God is calling you home. He's calling you home. He say, come. I want you to encounter me and have a close relationship with me. Thank you, my sister. Is there anyone else who wants to raise their hand to God? Just raise your hand to God if you want to come to close proximity with God. For those who raise their hands, I'm going to ask you to take a bold step to come to the front so we can pray with you. you. Bring your belongings with you. We're not going to ask you to say anything. We just want to pray with you. If you raise your hand, just come to the front so we can pray with you. Let's give them a round of applause as they come. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this people, Lord. If you raise your hand, just come so we can pray with you. Come stand right here. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. If you raise your hand, just come. Thank you. Friends, as we pray with these people, we need to remember that there was a time when we were exactly where they are. And God called us. God called us. God called us. Amen. Well done, guys. Best decision you can ever make. Father, I pray for these great people. Lord, that you will take their life from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, Father God. As you proclaim that let there be light, Father, light is coming upon them today. And their lives will never be the same again. And may they feel you today, Father. May they feel the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who gives us hope. And the God who's our Father. May they experience you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.